You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everyone, welcome back to HHWJ. Today we have our good friend Chandler Nash with us. Chandler, say hello. Hello. Chandler is our Director of Sales. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm 28 years old from Shelby Township, Michigan, and I'm the Director of Sales at Real Team Real Estate. Awesome. What does that What does that mean? What is your What does your title mean? Uh, well, what I do is I work with other leaders in the company, help uh, create ways that we can find opportunities, areas of improvement for all of our agents, and then also um, work with the training department and recruiting department to ensure that we're not only growing our team, but we're growing our team the correct way and teaching them the right way. Gotcha. Chandler, why did you decide to take this role rather than be in sales since you were so successful when you were in sales? Um, you know, it was just something that I wanted to do to elevate myself personally. Um, it's always rewarding to, um, you know, do good on your own, but to help elevate others and get them to that point, which was done for me as well, um, is even more rewarding. And I thought it was a challenge that at this point in my life, um, I was able to take on and I was willing to take on. Gotcha. That's awesome. What does your what is your first hour of waking up look like? Uh, depends on the day. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm usually in the gym by about five or five thirty, um, and then I uh, get ready for our morning sales call every day at seven fifteen. So I'm usually prepping for that by six thirty, so that we're ready to go by seven fifteen. Hi, I'm Dave. Hey Dave. Hey Dave. Uh-huh. Hey Chandler, give us an idea of uh, what does what does the call look like every single morning? What, what do we talk about? Well, we we try to focus on certain metrics on certain days, but it's really just making sure that we're doing everything we need to the previous day um, to ensure that we're hitting our monthly goals and our quarterly goals. Um, but it's really just transparency for everyone throughout the company, um, so that we can focus on areas of improvement, uh, numbers. Um, role play with our leaders, um, but also just learn from each other. Um, we're trying to make it more interactive in the morning so that we can help each other with situations that we may be going through and, and kind of share those with each other. Channing, who's on that call? Um, we've got all of our leaders. Um, so we've got Danny Schick, the broker. We've got Jamie, the productivity coach, our four store leaders, um, our three team captains, and we also have our director of training, Chrissy Schultz, and our uh, director of listing production, Anthony Toko, as well. So that happens every day? Every day, 715 sharp. Wow. Yes. Yes. That's great. Do, do you feel like if that went away, you would lose something? Um, I, yeah, I, I do think we'd all lose something. I think it's just something that starts our day, and, and Dave can attest to it, and so can Jamie. You know, we a lot of times we call each other right after the call and talk about the call and talk about things that came up and, and really just kind of bounce ideas off of each other so that by the time they have their local huddles at 9, they really have an idea of how they want to start the day with their team as well. So are you giving, like, marching orders on the call? No, um, that's, not, that's not my position. That's not my job. That's not how I want to lead people. There's no marching orders. There's suggestions. There's advice. And there's just um, visibility on what's going on in their store and throughout the brokerage. So we all know this. Everyone listening knows this. That um, you know, the if you're looking for high splits, real team isn't the place, right? So um, you were in sales for what three years, Chaney? 
before you took a new position? Yep, about three years, yep. Okay, so why did you, because a lot of your business was friends, family, um, why did you decide to, to stick with Real Team over going to another brokerage? Well, we just went on a um, a retreat as a leadership team, and I don't know if you guys remember hearing this high-level agent saying it, but what he said is, align yourself with the who, not the situation. And the who is more important to me than the situation. You can advertise high splits, you can advertise this, that, prestige, but you have to align yourself with the right people because in life, not just in business, you need support from others in order to succeed. And I felt comfortable with the people that I had. I've had other people approach me about the opportunities um, to join their team, their brokerage, and um, I'm comfortable and very uh, blessed with the who. And um, that's why I continue to stay with Real Team. Hey, Channing, can we rewind a little bit? Yes. So what what did you close? close in 2018. What do you think your closed volume was? I bet my closed volume was about 6 million. So you closed 6 million in 2018. And what year in real estate was that for you? That would have been my third full year. Okay. So your third full year in real estate, you closed 6 million. What did you do your first year? My first year, I did about 2.4 million and that was 2015. That was about eight, nine months. Wow. Yep. So in nine months, you in your first year in real estate, first nine months, you did two point four million. Yes. So oh, I feel like a lot of people that listen to this show are our newer agents that are kind of just trying to get more insight into to what we do and what it's like. Put yourself back in two thousand and fifteen. What was your day like? Um, well, back then we were we were jammed in like sardines. Um, so I'd come into our probably 500 square foot office with 13 people in there. Um, and it really was, we didn't have as much structure then it was, we had so many leads and we had so many things going on that I was just trying to intake it all and really just observe what everyone else was doing. Because when I got there, Dave was only in the business for probably six months, but he was still successful at that point. Adam Blake was there for about a year. He was successful at that point. And what everyone had kind of told me at that time is, no, we didn't have the scripts down and we didn't have the call lists or whatnot, but it was always from day one, get on the phone, create opportunities for yourself, and really take any opportunity because you don't know where it's going to lead you. So I was just running around with leases at that point, calling everyone that I knew at that point, and really just failing a lot at the start and trying to perfect my craft as I stumbled along the way. How many hours were you working in a week? Well, just take me through like a seven-day work week period. And what does that look like in your first year of real estate? Um, well, unfortunately for me, I had to work a second job, which I was very blessed to have when I started in real estate. But I was doing about 80 plus hours for the first four or five months. And after that, it was about 60 to 65 hours a week, uh, seven days a week. Wow. Chandler, I always happen to notice you have a really high level of customer service. So I just, I'm just curious, what what do you feel gives you the differentiating factor with your clients? Um, you know, I think it's 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 a simple word, but it's empathy, um, and it's really just uh, being empathetic towards your clients. And you know, I've always said it, and I, I was kind of raised on it: is one thing that's not going to change is your name. And in this business, that's all you got is your name. 
And whether you do high-level service or low-level service, you're still going to be Chandler Nash at the end of the day. So I'm either going to be Chandler Nash, the guy who took care of you, or Chandler Nash, the slime ball that got one over on you. So that always stuck with me that no, no matter where my life takes me, how I represent myself and my family and my support group will stick regardless of the job, career, or position that I'm in. That's great. I feel like you're very regimented like with, with your routine. So tell us a little bit about wh- how, how, how do you handle your clients? You've got active clients. You've got clients that are under contract. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis? Yeah. you know, Usually what it looks like is between eight and nine before our huddle, I'm always updating my buyers, I'm always going through my listings, seeing what the activity reports are, asking for feedback on previous showings. Eight to nine is really my prep to the day so that the rest of the morning I can do what needs to be done, whether meeting with a leader, a store leader uh, to have our biweekly meeting or whether it's prospecting that morning, um, you know. It really just is going to be my clients from 8 to 9, non-negotiable from 9.30 to 12. And by non-negotiable, it's a commitment that's on my calendar every day from 9.30 to 12. And then after that, you got to take a break for lunch. And you really have to, you know, at the end of the day, decide what you need to do at that point in time. If I'm slow in business, you best believe I'm going to be prospecting in the afternoon because not as many people are in in the afternoon. If I got a lot of clients that are active at that time, I'm going to set aside more time to make sure that I'm, I'm I'm servicing them and doing what I need to for them. And if I'm all set, uh, maybe I need to work on something with my director of sales duty. So looking over the recruiting budget, working on uh, ways to make sure that we're hitting our goals in training and recruiting, and also just kind of, you know, we have a lot of talks, Dave, just brainstorming with the other leaders in the company and really just throwing ideas against the wall. So you prospect every single day? Uh, Yes. Inadvertently, I do. Do I put on a dialer every day? No. Do I talk to at least five to 10 SOI a day? Every day, non-negotiable, whether it is or isn't about business, I try to talk to at least 10 friends, family, past coworkers a day. And was it like that when you first started in 2015 or were you looking at a different pool of prospects to, to work? Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was very similar. I mean, um, at that point, you know, you have a little bit different confidence, although looking back, there's nothing different. Um, there's nothing that's really changed. Yeah, I'm four years in the business now, but my work ethic, my drive to be great is still the same. So really when I started, it was still reaching out to anyone I knew. The only difference was when I started, I was 25, and I didn't have as many SOI um, that were purchasing homes at that time. Are you satisfied? Uh, no, I'm not. You think you'll be satisfied in five years? Uh, no, I don't think you can really ever be satisfied, to be honest with you. Awesome. All right. I have a, um, we're going to, let's go, let's go back to your customer service. I have a couple of questions for you. So we always talk about your always example of obviously you give the best customer service, um, blah, 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 blah. So we know that all of our clients are not always easy to work with, right? There's a lot of times that they're frustrating, that they, you know, whatever it may be. How do you make sure that you give every single person the same level of service, whether it's your best buddy or the most frustrating person you've ever met in your life that just doesn't want to hear anything that you're saying? 
how do you go about that? Well, you know, it, it, it's a lot. Um, it, it's really just you got to put it into perspective and you got to realize that no matter if it's my best friend or if it's somebody that I just met, this is one of the biggest purchases of their life. And people are going to react differently under stress. Um, and, and you know what? People react differently, but that can't shake how I react and how I guide them to the end goal. Um, I've been through it enough now to know that when you sit at the closing table, regardless of what has happened through the deal, people are so thankful and people enjoy it so much when you get them in their new home. And a lot of times they forget about the minor bumps in the road. So it's really just, you know, it's like when you play sports, not every athlete's going to react the same. Not every athlete's going to have the same personality, but at the end of the day, you got to make it work with them because guess what? That's what they hired you to do. And that's your job, and that's what you have to do to uphold the image that we're trying to create here at Real Team Real Estate. Awesome. What is what's some advice for someone in their first year? <clears throat> Fail. Fail a lot. But failing sucks. Sure. Everyone's judging me. Failing sucks. It sure does. If if we could all talk about our biggest, you know, lessons in life, I'm sure it came from failures. Um, in this room, and if you kind of ask anyone, I'm sure some of your biggest lessons in life come from failures and come from some of your toughest times, and uh, it, it really shows you and, and turns you into the person that you are from failures. If you succeed all the time, what do you really learn? What are you really challenging yourself with? You've got to fail to challenge yourself, and you've got to fail to really learn and to grow as a person. Dave, do you have anything else to add to that for first year? I think failing is right. Making mistakes, right? Like, right. You don't learn. I mean, you can learn from anything. You can learn from vi- from victories, from losses, from screwing up or doing something really well. Um, I think the key is to never stop learning, and never you, you got to be hungry for knowledge. That's that's one of the things that you have to do. That's one of the things that you know. Inadvertently, I did in the beginning. Um, I was obsessed with finding every little trick. Uh, every sales trick, every uh, language trick, whatever you want to call it, um, to better myself as a as a salesperson and as a real estate agent. Perfect. So, speaking of speaking of learning, Channy, are you listening to reading any books right now? Um, to be honest, no, <laughs> no, I am not. Um, that's probably bad, but to be honest, um, I am not at this point in time. No. Are you doing anything for what you would call professional development? Um, yeah, you know, what I like to do, to be honest with you, is I got some buddies who own businesses and I've got other buddies who are in high-level sales positions. And what I do is I give them a call and I say, hey, here's what's going on in my world. What have you seen when when this has happened? How does your business operate when something like this happens? How does there's a breakdown in the sales process here. How do you fix it? Give me an example. So what was something recently you talked to one of your buddies about? Yeah. You know, I had, um, you know, a, a guy at, uh, I have a good buddy who's a director at Rapid Advance who sells business loans. Uh, it's a, it's a wing of Quicken Loans. And, uh, you know, it was really just keeping the morale up when you're not hitting your goals and, and, and really working through some tough times and, I know I can handle it, but how do I keep my team energetic? How do I keep my team positive when we're not hitting our sales goals, but we're still doing good? Because there's a fine line between 
being tough to get them to the goal, but also realizing that, hey, we're still doing good as a business. We're still increasing at a, in our business. We're just not increasing at the rate that we'd like to be at. So, you know, it's, it's kind of things that I'm uh, seeing right now for the first time in my career and trying to deal with. And, you know, he was able to help me, you know, get some insight and basically just double down, you know, do what you can control, um, influence how you can influence. But at the end of the day, you know, there's certain things that you can't control and you just got to be okay with that. As long as you're doing everything and only you know that you're doing everything, then then that's all you can really do. Awesome. That's great. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears from Real Team and from Chandler. Um, but still a question to Chandler. Will there be real estate agents in 10 years, do you think? Yes. Is it going to look the same? What's it going to look like? Um, you know... Is it going to look the same? No, because if you put real estate or look at real estate 10 years back, um, you probably wouldn't see Zillow like you did today. You probably wouldn't see the Century Lock lockboxes that we're seeing today. You know, there's a lot of things that are going to change in the industry, but my feeling is always is that robots can only do so much. Robots can't make you feel comfortable. Robots can't be empathetic. And that's what's needed in not only real estate, but a lot of sales positions is a lot of times we say it, we're psychologists, you know, we're making sure that our X's and O's are important, but controlling the emotions of a deal and the client and all parties involved are more important by far, I believe. So do I see it changing? Yes, I sure do. I I, I can see, you know, other companies that are going to come up with ideas like a Redfin or whatnot, or you know, Zillow, new new innovations are always going to happen. But are there going to be real estate agents? Yes, I believe there are because there's a human element that technology can never replace. What is that? What is that human element? So give me, give me an example of what only a real estate agent can do that a Zillow can't do for you. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, uh, you get your Zestimate, right? Mm-hmm. And what's a Zestimate? Can anyone explain what a Zestimate is to me? It's a Zillow algorithm that determines value of a home based on recent home sales. Right. And are they accurate? Um, I'm going to call it 50-50 at this point. Okay, gotcha. So (laughs) my question is this, is if we have appraisers who use formulas and math equations and algorithms to find out the value of a home, wouldn't they be eliminated first? Yeah. They would be eliminated first and we just go with this estimate because that's the mathematical right way to do it, right? Right. Sure. Well, well, <laughs> you know, in theory. In theory. There, there, there's a human element to going through a home and seeing what has been done to a home. Also, the presentation of a home. We've all been there. It, we're salespeople at the end of the day. We're not going to guide our people in the wrong way, but you paint a picture as well and you sell. And that's part of the art that we as salespeople have. But it's also, like I said, just there for the support. How many times have you called into Comcast and you're going crazy because you're talking to a an automated line? Right. And then when someone gets on, you kind of cool your jets a little bit because you're actually able to talk to a person. Until they piss you off. Until they ask you all the same questions <laughs> that the robot just asked you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, it's just... It's simple to say, but it's the human element and just that nurturing quality. Um, it's like when you rock a baby, you can rock them in a rocker all you want that's automated, 
but when it goes into a mom's arms, there's just something there that I can't, I can't scientifically point out and I can't point out, but it, it just calms them down. So I, Dave, you sent me an article recently about, um, you know, another lawsuit, um, Every every real estate transaction last year in the city of Chicago is being, is coming under scrutiny from this big law firm, right? And basically, they're saying that you know requiring requiring the seller to pay a buy side commission is is illegal, right? And there's been cases like this before, and they've all been beaten, right? The NAR has always won. Um, so if you if you kind of realize what's going on with that, and then you look at how Europe does commissions. Right, so if you're buying a house in Europe, you pay your real estate agent a buy side commission. The buyer's actually paying that commission. Could you see that change here as a result of that law? You know, the lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, it, we've seen it many times. All of us, right? Buyers out there in the market are typically, especially first time homebuyers, are pretty cash strapped. Right, so they need every single dollar, every single penny that they've got to go towards closing costs and this and that. And then guess what? They're buying a house, so they're gonna have to fill the house. Right. You okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't see that far into the future. I'm not really sure how that how that lo- what that looks like or how that would play out. Imagine if you had to truly sell the buy side of the transaction to to get a commission, right? If you if you're working in London, that's what you got to do. What does yeah. the average commission look like in Europe? Do you know uh, that? I don't know. That no. that'd be an interesting number to 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 see if a buyer's paying their agent a commission for representing them as the buyer's broker. I wonder what what they're being paid. Right, right. Just something new and different. Do you think your business, Chandler, would change? in any way if you had to sell buyers on paying you a commission? Uh, <clears throat> it is going to change. I mean, if there's there's changes to the industry, yes, it's got to change. But at the end of the day, you know, I've been um, blessed and lucky to have a great support group around me, great friends, family, um, ex-coworkers, everything like that. And, you know, they've really put their faith into me. And, you know, I, I think they put their faith into me whether they had to pay me or not just knowing what I did, but you asking, would it change? Yes, it, it, it most definitely would change. Gotcha. Chin, what'd you, what'd you do before you got into real estate? Um, nothing. No. Um, <laughs> I was an underwriter for a, um, insurance company. We wrote all, um, large fleet accounts nationwide. So semi trucks. Sounds we did there. boring. Yeah. It, what are you talking about? It, <laughs> it, it was very boring and that's why I decided to make the change. What did your day look like? Like, what did you do? Uh, surf the internet. <laughs> uh, went to the snack lounge about five or six times. Uh, did my two hours of work, and then uh, that's about it. You know, socialized, and the socializing really helped me because I've I've gotten a lot of people from there that have ended up working with me in this business. So, not not, not all bad. If you if you take what you know right now today, and you could take one of those things back to when you first started, what would it be? To when I first started real estate? Yeah. If you know, if you knew then what you know now, what would, what would you change when you first started? Um, you know what? I, you know, I don't think I would change anything. I, I think you learn and you grow and 
you, you think a certain way and certain things happen for a reason. So would I change anything? No. What I would, I guess, improve is my confidence as a, as a young guy. Um, people don't know when they meet you how long you've been in the business. Whether you look old, whether you look young, it's how confident you are and how you come off to people. So what I would change is just always being confident with myself, not just with my SOI, not just with lower price point, not just with buyers. Because as you know, when we started, we didn't go on listing appointments right off the bat. Right. So when you did, it was almost like, oh my gosh, like what do I do? It's just be yourself and use the tactics that we learn and just be confident in it. And if you screw up, be confident when you screw up. It's okay. So do you think your confidence came from just repetition and time in the business or did one specific thing happen or a combination of things or what happened to to get your, I mean, you're the cockiest person I know. So confidence is different than (laughs) cockiness. So uh, yes, I am a confident person, but um, I don't think it was one thing that changed. I think it's just failing and learning that failure's all right. Um, The world's not going to stop spinning because you screwed up a phone call or because you missed something on a PA. Um, It's okay. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to get another chance at it. So I think that's just where the confidence goes is if it's not this one, if you work hard enough, that there's going to be another one. What's What was your biggest failure so far in real estate? God, that's we, my we favorite all, we question. I was all thinking that. All we were thinking. all thinking that. I know. Um, I actually, me and Jamie had talked about this the other week, and I can't pinpoint a huge failure. I failed a lot. The one that I always go back to was um, when I first started, I got a, a, a buyer from Danny Schick, so... Wait, was, can we pause there? So yeah, everyone's everyone's fail has came from a client that our uh, leader Danny Schick passed off to us. So that's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of brought me over to his desk and he's like, uh, "Hey, dude, <laughs> uh, I got this lead here, and uh, was wondering if you could show it." So I'm like, "Yeah, I can show him." And I had probably shown about <laughs> five. A good Danny Schick. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> I had probably shown about five to ten properties at that point in time, and. Um, I didn't know how to read a listing ticket, so I had taken this couple. I drove all the way out to Farmington Hills from Shelby Township, and I was so excited to show this couple. And, um, you know, I didn't know what asbestos was. And this couple <laughs> this couple comes into this house, and they have a baby. And um, the, the attic space or the attic access was blocked off, and they're like, huh, I wonder why it was blocked off. And... I didn't know. So I looked on the listing ticket and I'm like, oh, they mentioned something about asbestos in the attic. And they looked at me and stopped. And I looked at them and they're like, are you kidding me? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's asbestos in the attic that they're taking care of. <laughs> like it's no big deal. Yeah. Here's the bathroom. Exactly. I'm they like, so what do you it. think of the house? What do you want to go in at? You know, I was trying to close them and they're like, you br- you made us come in here with the asbestos with our newborn, blah, blah, blah. Needless to say, I followed up with them the next day. I, I never heard back. I hope, <laughs> I hope they got a good home. But um, just looking through the listing ticket, it, it really opened my eyes to make sure I look at disclosures and what's on the listing ticket. At least and, you pronounced it right. Yeah. And, you know, looking <laughs> into. You probably didn't at the time. Abostus. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's awesome. It's a good one. That's Good a great one. one. At least you'd have to buy a dryer. That's true. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Well, we almost did one time, but that that's not here nor there. Thanks again, Danny Shek. We yeah. appreciate you. Thanks again, bud. <laughs>
Taylor, what's your, you're a leader. You're a leader at Real Team. People look up to you. Um, wh- what's your purpose? What's your purpose as a leader? Um, well, my purpose as a leader, you know, I think it's just to do what I've been, what, what's been given to me and what support I've received. Um, it, it's really uplifting and rewarding when you have somebody pour time and energy into you and it actually works out. And you look back and you kind of have a feeling of, I did it. And you feel better about yourself and you're able to help your family and you're able to do things with your spouse or significant other that you haven't been able to do before. And you're, you're really able to affect people's lives um, when you receive that help. So that's kind of my purpose is I've gotten to do so many great things these last four years inside of work, outside of work. And that's because of, you know, the support, the training that I received. So, you know, I know that feeling. And I want people to feel that and to feel that, yes, you are worth it, even though you may not feel like it at this time. Or, yes, you can take your kids on a vacation that you never thought you were going to this year. Or, yes, you can buy a house when you thought two years ago that you were going to be renting for the rest of your life. So it's really just it's like when you go through a deal, you see people succeed and it wants to make you motivate you more because you see that light at the end of the tunnel and you see what it does for people and how how they can then help influence other people speaking of renting forever and buying houses jp congrats on uh, oh, congrats. closing yeah. on your first guys. house thanks a royal oak resident a royal oak resident of your own house of my own house you have a child now too right um i have a puppy which is more <laughs> annoying than a child i think maybe since this is a real know. estate show i mean i can truly put it out there it a dog will reduce the value of a property by at least twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Well, but. you and Danny both told me that the day of my closing, so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she will, but she's a sweet little pumpkin. But it's worth I every love minute. her. It's worth every minute looking in those big blue eyes. Wow, Tom, I have a question for you. <laughs> okay, so the buzzword value, value. I hear that word value at least. Three times a day. I, a value city just pops in my head yes. right now. So tell me what value means to you. Like, what is value? Like the definition of it? Your definition. How of it. Not the actual, but your definition. Well, Tom feels fucking annoyed by the word. Well, you can tell. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> you're right. It's a buzzword. It gets overused all the time. Um, I mean, I think of more of the word valuable, I guess. And that's something that uh, is precious to you, you know? Um so I guess if you take the root value, it's it should be something that's that's precious as well. You know, I, I don't know that um, it's just oh, it's overused, um, especially. I mean, in marketing, it's just like oh, it's a, it's a great value. Well, what does that mean? I guess it means that you think it's better than the money you had to spend on it, right? But um, I don't know. It's an overused word. I'm not a fan of it. When benefits exceed cost, right? There you go. I have a question for all three of you. So what do you think is the most valuable thing that you can do as a leader? I'll take this one first. Um, The most valuable thing I think you could do is lead by example. You're not going to influence people if you're going to ask them to do things that you won't do yourself. So that's the most valuable thing that I believe that all of us can do in the company is if we expect people to dial, we should be dialing. If we expect people to work weekends, we should be working weekends. If we want people at late night dial session, 
we should be there with them. So just leading by example is, is my answer for the most valuable thing that we can do. I think um, the most va- – what was the question? The, t- what's the most valuable thing as a leader? How to go? Correct. Yep. Yep. You got it. Yeah. So um, Chandler touched on this empathy, just really understanding what someone's situation is, um, understanding why um, they do what they do, figuring out what what gets somebody moving and somebody going and, and reminding them of that, I think is one of the most important things that a leader can do for one of their people. So what would you say um, – and I'll go back to myself – what would you say to someone who doesn't really know why they're doing what they're doing or what their purpose is, which is how I felt when I came to Real Team three years ago? I had no idea. I just I knew I needed something different, and that was it. And I didn't know my purpose. I didn't know my value. So how how can you? What do you do in that situation when someone's like, "Well, I'm here. I like the people. It's fun. Everyone else is making money, so I can probably make money, but I don't really know why." Everyone has a reason. I I believe. I just don't think that everybody knows what it is, right? Something deep down. There's something that somebody you know that people want, right? They want things that they don't have, or um, you know, situations that they don't have. It's the grass is always greener. So it's like, what what's important? And I think you. I mean, you do a really good job of of going three deep when you ask questions, right? Finding out what's important to someone, um, even though they may not know what it is. There's something there that you just have to discover as a leader. Tommy, do you have anything to add? Um, so what was the question again? The most valuable thing you can do as a leader? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's um I think it's gonna be different. I think all of our answers are gonna be different. Um in my opinion, I think it's it's vision. You know, you have to it's just like, you know, if you're if you're leading people, um, like literally, like hiking up a mountain and you're the leader. Like you have to have the vision of where where are we going, because all they're doing, the people behind you are just looking at the person behind them and the person behind them. So, when when you're a leader, you truly have to know where the fuck you're going and don't step off the cliff, right? It's like, it seems kind of underwhelming, like you're just kind of coasting along, but it's not the case. Like you've got to carefully drive your crew in the right direction. So I think vision's really important. Um, and uh, I think presence is important. I think, uh, you know, the people that you want to affect, y- you have to be an active part of their life. You have to be next to them. You have to be in their mind in, in a way where they truly believe that you care about their outcomes, right? Um, and, and that I think that vision and, and presence are really, I think, two very important things. I agree. Chaney, what do you think the hardest part of your your new role is being a leader? Like what's the most challenging piece for you being Wait. out of sales-ish? Waking up at 5 a.m. Tough, especially after bowling night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no. The hardest part is just um, at points just kind of believing in yourself and when you don't get the results, knowing that it's all part of the process and, and kind of being patient. You know, nothing changes overnight. Everyone says, hey, Rome wasn't built overnight. And when you try to implement new things and you're not seeing the instant success from it or the instant results from it, it's easy to say, well, we're just going to go back to the old way because it worked that way. But change is about 
taking a step back to ultimately get a couple steps forward. So uh, I think the toughest part of my job is, you know, being part of making big decisions. And when those big decisions don't work out right off the bat, um, really doubting yourself or in particular that decision at that point in time. Right. Yeah. I think patience is probably the biggest struggle for all of us because salespeople are not patient, right? We just want the the instant validation immediately. And it's tough to, to be patient and wait for it. Right. Well, we live in instant gratification world, right? That's right. Last week, what was it? Facebook and Instagram were broken. Did you guys hear about that? What? Yeah. Facebook and Instagram were broken. I don't remember what day it was. And, and so people needed both to Both were broken? Both were broken. Well, they, same time? The same company. Wow. Ish. So Twitter's numbers skyrocketed that same day. Someone had to go somewhere they needed to, get to their fix, take a picture of their right? food. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like instant gratification. I right? felt terrible about myself that day. Not one person liked a picture. <laughs> well, so <laughs> what I was going to say is, is we live in an instant gratification world. People have their sprinting shoes on. Instead mm-hmm. of having their marathon shoes on, right? Yeah. Like it's it's a long journey. And being and, a guy that likes to be barefoot all the time, like myself, everyone, all you guys want to wear your sprinting shoes. It's like, can I be different? <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to not be that person, right? When you're kind of forced to be that person, right? People struggle with that. I think mm-hmm. creates a lot of anxiety when you feel like you've got to constantly be pushing, running, sprinting, going, and I don't know. I think that's probably a big, a big challenge with our newer agents too, right? Because we obviously we love celebrating wins because it's so good for everyone and that's what keeps the morale up. But I think it's I think it's tough as a newer agent that's you know grinding, 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 and they're seeing shoutouts on Slack and production and people on the written board and people set, setting appointments, and they're seeing everybody do all of these things and getting rewarded for it. And they're like, "Fuck, I'm doing the same thing every single day, and I'm not seeing shit." Right. Chan- were you done? Yeah. Chandler, when you when, what, what month did <laughs> you agree. start? I started in late April, early May of 2015. Oh, you, you started right in the heat of the Perfect. heat of the season, right? Correct. Yep. So you came in, and I mean, I'm sure your experience was similar to mine. But when I first started, I remember being in that small ass office and people high fiving and putting pendings on the board and putting appointments on the board. I'm like, fuck, when is that going to be me? Mm. You know, and like I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, it just motivated me to get on that level 100 percent, 100 percent, and that's why you're only as strong as your support group is you know you want to be part of your group when you grew up everyone got a next tell what did you want the next tell <laughs> <laughs> you know trip, trip. You, you just you want to follow the people that you're around and what did they say you're 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 like or you're most influenced by your five closest people that you hang out with or whatnot. So when you see everyone doing good, it shouldn't be bad on you or it shouldn't be a negative to you. It should be a, okay, now I got to level up to them. I know, but it fucking sucks. I'm doing the same thing as they are. Keep doing it. I, I mean, that's, that's the only advice you can give that person is, you know, as leaders, I think you have to reward the effort. Not just the result, especially when it's it's newer people. When people are grinding, reward that effort. Don't just you know have that attitude of hey, I'm not even going to know your name unless you're on the production board. You know, instead reward the effort because that's what they need. That's 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 the work they're putting in. We we get confused about that sometimes. Like we reward, oh, you got an appointment, right? That was a result. Good job. Oh, you got your name on a listing. That was a result. Good job reward the effort, the process of getting there instead of just the result. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chaney, 
I think that's probably the biggest thing that changed for both you and myself taking our new positions was being able to recognize the effort out of people because when you're, you know, when all your focus is on is being in the business and there's so much going around, obviously you're going to high five the person that had five closings this month or wrote a million, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's the, that changed for both of us. I think more than anything is being able to, I guess, just being aware of what's going on around us and seeing these people that are working so hard and we're so thankful for them. And I know I don't say it enough, but just, just knowing that, they're a big piece of this puzzle, whether they know it or not. Can I uh, just make like steer it in one direction real quick? Yeah. So I, I'm just looking at the ten year treasury right now, and we're at two two point five three seven. I don't know what that means to you guys, it but as a, as a mortgage guy, going into April, rates are back down to where they were last year. Right? We had the yep. bump; people dropped out. Rates are back down. Pulte was up today. Um, KB Homes was up today. Lennar Homes were up today. And everybody's talking about housing rebirth. What does right? that mean? Like housing's coming back, like it went anywhere, right? Well, three months ago, everyone's talking about the market shifting, and right. it's going to turn into a you know, it's going to turn into a, a seller's market, and there's going to be extra inventory, and rates are going to go up. That's not happening. It's yeah. not happening. It's go, it's it's going to continue. It's going the same way it's been going. So I'm, I guess all I'm saying is. Hey, if you work at Real Team and you're listening to this, get ready because April, May, June, July, August is going to be crazy, and you can easily make a hundred thousand dollars in those five months for sure. So I, I don't know. I was just looking at that, and I, I think it's going to be another crazy year. Is it ever going to end? It will once inventory picks back up. Is it ever going to end? When is that? Is the question? I was in Detroit yesterday. Condos going up everywhere. Oh yeah, cranes like crazy. It's it's a good time right now. Rebirth of Detroit. There's right. so much investment in Detroit right now. It's crazy. Coming from all over the world. Everywhere. Yep. For sure. All right. So we have three minutes left. Do either of you have anything else left for Channing? Yes. Okay. Chandler. Yes. What's your go-to fast food joint? Ooh, go-to fast food joint. <laughs> I know what you're trying to get out of me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, What's your not, favorite huh? fast food joint? <laughs> I mean... Uh, <laughs> I mean, a McDonald's is my go-to if I got to. What's your favorite drink if you're going to order a drink at the bar? If I'm going to order a drink at go the to. bar? Well, um, to keep a long story short, I order a Corona every first drink now. And why I do that is when we're on a beach in 10 years, I'm practicing what I want to order there. Nice. I love Just that. like when okay. you cut down the nets, they had to cut down the nets to practice to win right. for the national title. So my first drink is always going to be a Corona now because I'm practicing for 10 years down Who's the road. Who's in your final four? Uh, final four, North Carolina, Virginia, Michigan State, and Gonzaga. Uh, Michigan State's Spartan actually losing. Zion, huh? Right now. Yes. Yes. I do have that. Wow. Do you think Zion's a fraud? Uh, do I think he's a fraud? <laughs> no, She's not yet. Fraud. Not yet. But when he gets 300 plus pounds, we'll see how that athleticism goes. Wow. Jamie, you got anything? Um, no. I think that's all. Channing, do you have any anything left? Uh, the only thing I'd left to say is, you know, keep working. If you're not where you want to be, just keep your head down and don't look around. Worry about how you improve on yourself and how you can get better every day, and you'll get to where you want to be. Thanks, Shani. Well, thanks for coming to hang out, Chandler. We will be back in two weeks. Um, special guest not to be disclosed yet. So we will talk to all of you then. See you later.